I'm Peter Medlin, and you are listening to Teacher's Lounge from WNIJ. And if this is your very first time hearing our show, well, I've got good news. It's a simple idea. We've all had teachers in our lives who helped shape who we are. And every educator we have on this podcast, whether it's a teacher, a coach, or professor, is nominated by the folks who listen. We want you to be a part of this show. So please do tell us about the educators who've inspired you and the educators in your community who deserve a spotlight. Email us with your nominations and your story ideas at teacherslounge at niu.edu. On this week's show, it is time to ready your arguments and prepare to perform. We are talking with English teacher and forensics coach, Greg Solomon. Now, forensics, if you are unaware, in this case does not mean that he's teaching high school students how to sleuth around a crime scene, searching for clues and fingerprints. No, forensics is competitive speech and drama. You can kind of think of it as track and field, but for talking. There are a series of events like persuasive speech, informative drama, comedy, debate, and it turns out that public speaking and just being an effective and comfortable communicator, pretty good skill for life. Sure, you're creating characters sometimes, but really you are creating a persona, and that persona hopefully exudes confidence and and being comfortable, and that's what hopefully forensics will provide for most kids. Greg started doing forensics 40 years ago when he was in high school and has now been coaching forensics at DeKalb High School for the last 30 years. We get into all of that and more here on Teacher's Lounge. Now, before our chat with Greg, we've got a few other stories that we want to bring you. Half of the kids who go to Lewis Lemon Elementary School in Rockford can't take a bus to school, especially in the cold months of winter. Many of those students don't make it to school at all. And I got to spend time with a community member trying to help. I'm walking in the snow right now outside of Lewis Lemon Elementary School in Rockford. Not gonna lie to you, it's pretty cold outside right now. It, uh, with the windshield, it feels like negative four. And every day, there's kids at the school that live within a mile and a half that can't take the school buses. And so they have to try to find a ride or I guess walk. But as you can imagine, it being negative four, it's not something that elementary school kids should be doing. 170 elementary schoolers at Lewis Lemon don't have a school bus. That's half of the whole school. And you can see that in the school's attendance numbers. 84% of Lewis Lemon students were chronically absent last year, meaning that they missed at least 18 days of school. For context, their chronic absentee rate is nearly triple the state average. In the winter, when temperatures can dip below zero in the morning, attendance gets worse. Lewis Lemon Principal Alicia Jones says not all parents have transportation, and the school sometimes gets calls from them saying it's too cold for their child to walk. John Brantley wants to make sure these kids have a ride. Some folks in the Rockford community know him as Brother John. And for the past two years, Brantley has used his own van to take Lewis Lemon students to and from school. Sometimes, if he can, he takes them to the library or other local events, too. And it started with just a few students. But this fall, Principal Alicia Jones asked him if he could start taking more. I got uh, 16 kids today. And is that about normal? Is it, you said uh, I get an like average between 20 and 25 kids every day. His group of 16 stands against the front of the school wearing colorful winter coats and hats. And John reminds them not to stand in the snow while they wait for everyone to get ready to leave. I got them all. We can walk towards the van. Hey, y'all, come on. The kids walk towards the van. Only, it's not John's van this time. Because a few weeks ago, his 2004 Honda Odyssey broke down. The timing belt snapped. 
It'll cost $1,600 to replace, and that's $1,600 he doesn't have. So for now, he's been borrowing vehicles to keep getting kids to school and home after. The day I'm with John is the last day he can use a bus from the Rockford Housing Authority. Do you guys ride uh, every day in this bus with Mr. John here? Yeah. Yeah. Several churches have also let him borrow their vans, although he has to pay for gas, and there are some days they can't let him use it. Some days I miss, like Monday. I couldn't get the housing authority or the church van. Only two of them made the school, and the other 25 didn't. So the school noticed a big difference. At this point, he has 30 kids on his list. So depending on the van, he has to make multiple trips. And many of those kids live in public housing. 70% of kids at Lewis Lemon Elementary qualify as low income. But why isn't the school taking them? Well, officials from the Rockford Public Schools Transportation Department say part of the reason is that they still have a shortage of bus drivers. They say, quote, with more drivers, we could potentially increase the district's ability to provide additional support to families who need it. Or why not help out Brantley financially? Well, John says he's hopeful the school district will help him get a grant to assist with the cost of his work. But RPS officials say the district doesn't write or offer grants. Brantley also spoke at a recent city council meeting asking for sponsors to help him repair his van. He may get a new one too, but it's been hard to let go of his old van. He says when his mom passed away, she left him some money to keep helping in the community, which he used on the van. But new van or not, one of the things he lives by is, as he puts it, ask not what your community can do for you, but what you can do for your community. Instead of complaining about what the school not doing, the parents not getting their kids to school, I just say, hey, we're going to get these kids to school one way or the other. Fixing the van or getting a new one is his top priority, but someday he'd like to help even more Rockford kids get to and from school. Lewis Lemon certainly isn't the only RPS school that struggles with chronic absences, and he's already got a half dozen other schools on his radar if he can get the funds. And lastly, one other story. This week on Valentine's Day was the 15th anniversary of when five Northern Illinois University students were shot and killed in their class at Cole Hall. And I got to attend a memorial honoring those students. The bell rang five times at 3.06 p.m. Five times to remember the five students killed in a mass shooting at NIU on Valentine's Day 2008. Gail Dubowski, Catalina Garcia, Juliana Gahant, Ryan Mace, and Daniel Parmenter. Family and friends stood out in the rain to grieve and embrace at the memorial garden where a sculpture and five plaques mark the five students. 17 others were injured that day. Mike Speak was a student in that classroom where the attack happened. It's a feeling that I don't wish it upon anyone. It's, tor it's torn me apart. I miss them all the time and I didn't even know them. Anthony DeVay is a current NIU student. DeVay is a survivor of the Highland Park mass shooting where seven people were killed last July. I very vividly remember hearing the gunshots and everybody running it. I just wish something would change to, so that more people don't have to keep constantly going through this. The memorial comes a day after three students were killed at Michigan State University and on the fifth anniversary of the Parkland shooting. Along with the memorial outside of Cole Hall, the university has also established the Forward Together Forward scholarship in their names. Okay, now it is time for our conversation with forensics coach Greg Solomon. And we start out talking about how even as a speech and debate coach, he's pretty introverted. 
she sent an email, you mm -hmm. know, of, you know, reasons of why she thought you should be on the show, describing you. And I wanted to let you in on how she described you. And I wanted to see if you see yourself in that. She okay. described, because I just thought it was a great series of characteristics, right? She's described you as shy, gifted, but hilarious. That's that's kind of well. I don't know. If, I don't know. If I'd say any of those are true, but uh, the shy is the strange one because in the classroom, not at all. But if I have to talk to adults, not a lot of conversation happening. Not a lot going on. So really, so like yeah. within classroom setting, you're energetic. You're you're talking. You don't feel shy at all. But then no. in other social situations, it's a little bit different. I think it's because they're forced to listen to me and they have to be there whether, you know, they want to be or not, where in a social situation, anybody can just walk away at any point. And I think there's just more pressure there. And so I pulled that pressure on occasion. I understand. And I thought that I did think that the shy point was the most interesting there, too, especially since given that you teach, you know, speech and yep. public speaking related yep. things. And I was like, what a victory for the shy folks out there, yes. even the person teaching that also gets nervous to do speaking in public, you know, public speaking. And I tell my classes that all the time. Um, to me, public speaking, you know, that situation is almost easier to me than a social situation because more often than not, you're not going to see those people again. And so, you know, you're, you're, you're putting it out there once and you're done, where if you make a fool of yourself with like your cousin, Every year at Christmas, they're going to go, there's, the, there's that stupid cousin who made a fool of himself last year. So. I, uh, I, as someone that is uh, you know, a writer and someone that, that talks on the radio and stuff, mm -hmm. I completely understand that because it's, you get to prepare. You get to have a script. You know yep. how to go into that. It reminds me, I don't know if there's a, a new show that came out this year on HBO Max that's called The Rehearsal. Have you heard of this? No. It's a, by a comedian, his name is uh, Nathan Fielder, and he does okay. like kind of absurd things. But the concept of the rehearsal is just this, that like there are so social situations with family and friends that you wish that you could prepare for in Fair the way yep. that you could perform for other performances. And so yep. he like builds these elaborate sets where it's like, oh, I'm going to meet my friend in a bar <laughs> to talk, like tell her something that I've been meaning to get off my chest. And he will like spend the money to like make a scale replica of the bar and hire actors in there. It's really <laughs> absurd, but it's very fun in a way of like trying to do your best to prepare and perform a social situation that you usually do not get to do that for. And that's, that's, that's very true. It's, it's, and that's the difference between social and, and the classroom to me. It's, it's, it's a performance at that point. And in all honesty, the, the threshold for like, when she says hilarious, the threshold for like hilarious in the classroom is really, really low because most teachers don't try to be funny. So I can just say the stupidest thing in the world and it's like, you know, high bar compared to, you know, when you go into your social studies class and we're just going to read the chapter. You know, I just said, people appreciate your mom, and it's suddenly hilarious. So People appreciate a good dad joke. You're trying out there, you know? There you exactly. <laughs> I was curious, especially, you know, like you said, for, like, that teaching is a performance. Very much And so. I was curious, you know, for and you, you know, teach speech and forensics and all that, and you've been doing that for, for decades now, right? Yep, 28 years. It, I, I was curious, like, how you feel like that has has changed you as an educator and how you perform teaching, you know? I think it's very different um, because, as you said before, so many kids, you know, and uh, adults, for that matter, have this anxiety and this fear of public speaking that um, I used to, I, I've taught other classes as well, and I've always found my 
presence and my persona in my speech class is much more informal, is much more I'm going to goof around a lot, I'm going to make fun of myself a lot, I'll tease you guys a lot. And the more exchange we can have, the more comfortable they get. And if they get more comfortable, I'm not going to say suddenly, you know, doing a speech is fun, but there, it's going to be a lot easier if you, you know, if I trick you into having fun most of the time and the, oh, oh yeah, I have to do a speech today. So, um, you know, I've, I've far less formal, far, uh, you know, goofier in a speech classroom than when I was, when I first started and I was teaching humanities every hour. Right. Yeah, no, and that, that totally makes sense. And I, I think about even, again, for, for me, even though, you know, like the radio is, is speaking, it's, it's kind sure. of public speaking, but like I'm not in front of a physical crowd every time I do it, right. which is, but I do see myself having to like prepare for the, like I, I host shows on Saturday morning. It's, you know, weekend edition. So I'm there in the studio at like 530 in the morning. And, you know, when you get on air that early in the morning, I'm tired. I don't drink caffeine. I'm just, you know, just cold water trying to wake me up. But I'm like in the studio doing, you know, uh, jumping jacks. I'm shadow boxing in there trying to get in the headspace of the performance. Even though I'm not in front of a crowd, I still feel it as not really nerves, but that I have to perform and I have oh, yeah. to get in the headspace for it. And that's even more difficult because you don't have the feedback. So it's like, ah. <laughs> know if this is working or not i don't know if anybody's still out there yeah i get it let, al- let alone if it's you know a pandemic and i'm recording from my uh, bedroom closet and, and you know yeah, who knows two years ago it's like i'm i'm still doing what i'm always doing but i have no idea if any of you are still there how did you perform during the pandemic was that difficult it was because i mean obviously it was difficult yeah 90 percent of the kids didn't have their cameras on which i get because they're you know we've just got so many situations. I mean, we had some kids who were like in a room with their five siblings all on headphones doing, you know, doing their, oh yeah, their, uh, you know, Zoom meetings for classes as they were going on or, you know, just rolling out of bed and it's like, I, I made it, but I'm still, you know, in my pajamas in bed. And so it was, you just didn't know if they were there. You're not gonna call them out. It was just stress and anxiety doing it too, so. Oh, for sure. I was interested in like for speech in that setting I was wondering if for some students it was somehow easier because even though you don't have the feedback instantly you also don't have the eyes on you directly yeah yep. and I think a lot of kids felt that and we even did um, with some that they just submitted videos instead of you know presenting even in, in a zoom setting and that seemed to you know ease nerves for a lot as well in fact we even incorporated that afterwards that, you know, if you have too much, you know, I just can't do it. We've always offered where, or at least I've always offered, you can do it outside of class. You come in, you know, during your lunch and it's just you bring two friends and that's all it's going to be. And then we started to incorporate, if you just want to submit a video, I prefer you not, but if that's what's going to get you through this class, you're still doing it. You're still, you know, in your mind, you're not performing in front of people, but you really are. And in all honesty, probably performing it potentially in, in front of many more. If I was a jerk and put it up on social media, which I don't, but I could. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think about that all the time too, with the way that people are really comfortable performing uh, in front of a camera, right? Like so many people that, that do you know YouTube and do all these types of video things where they might be shy speaking in front of a class, but you know, in front of a million people, you know, just watching the video, totally cool. Yep, just strange. Yeah, so you, along with being a classroom teacher, you also are a coach for, for speech 
and forensics. And I'm going to ask you to do something that I'm sure that you've done ad nauseum over the That's years, okay. which is that I think that there are probably some people out there here that when they hear forensics, think that you and your students are rooting around a crime scene and if analyzing. If I was going to say, if only that were a club that were offered where you guys are like, you know, doing data analyses uh, <laughs> from in, the, in a laboratory with some crime scene data or something. But forensic science and forensics club, very different. You understand that distinction. Yep. But can you ex just briefly explain what forensics is for people that are, are slightly confused still? Sure. What forensics is, is in our case, in the high school level, it's competitive speeches and competitive drama, um, where you are taking sections of a play and you and a friend are, are acting out a, an eight minute scene, or you are, or you are doing that by yourself and, and creating multiple characters. Um, also, traditional speeches like uh, a persuasive, a research-based persuasive, persuasive speech or research-based informative speech. Why it's called forensics is, in all honesty, most schools in Illinois still call it speech team. And it was speech team when I first came here 30 years ago. Yeah. And we had a team of six. And it was, I just wanted to get away from that, the stereotype that was already there. On the collegiate level, on the university level, it's called forensics because it is speech, which is the what is called individual events, and it's also debate. And debate is really what forensics is because forensics is dealing with the law. And so that's where forensics comes from. It's, it's the science that's dealing with the law in terms of that forensics medicine. Um, and so the debate was, you know, you're analyzing something and looking at it from a legal perspective. And so I just stole it from NIU and brought it here and so still half the people don't know what the heck it is, but. Do you ever get some, do you ever get a few students in who, who like show up to the first one and think that. And somebody will just be there. This was not what I thought it was at all. <laughs> Maybe this would be fun though. Try this instead. Yeah, there you go. Also interesting that it's something that you, that, you know, you picked up over the years that it was initially called speech. And then for, I think that like, in my mind, it was like, oh, this is an old term that people used to use for it. And now it's called something else. But I'm glad that you was, you picked it out and said we needed to bring it back. I just, I just stole it. You know? and, and like I said, where there were like six kids on it and those six kids were wonderful. But, you know, the other thousand kids in the school at the time had this, you know, and it, it's an accurate perception of the dorky speech kids. You know, when you when you're when your coaching staff is that it's hard to you know have the students suddenly be the cool kids. But um, we just wanted to, you know, try to give it a new twist, try to give it a new positivity to it. And so, right. So, yeah, it can be informative, persuasive, dramatic. I mean, there's there's events like that humor. Are just really stand up comedy. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so there's there's 14 different events. There's like if, if you like to perform at all, there's something we can do. There's like three and short stories and current events and impromptu. It's pretty cool, it's pretty neat. And before you became a coach, this was something that you got introduced when you were in high school, right? I did it in high school and did it in college. So I, I, I've never, it's, gosh, it's so I, I was high school in 82, so 18. This is year 40, year with, 40? without a break, because I went four years in high school, then four years in college. Literally, when I graduated college, I took over, I student taught that following fall and took over as head coach here at DeKalb High School, and I just never left. That's awesome. And you got introduced when you were in high school by your brother, right? Yes, yes. That's awesome. And Who, so, yeah. Uh, is, was my hero then and is still my hero now, so yes. I love that. So 40, 40 years, 
for you when you were doing it back then. And yep. I'm obviously sure when you're practicing, you're showing people how to do all these things today. Mm-hmm. Like what are your, what were your go-to events? What did you like to do? <laughs> when I was in high school, I just did the, the, the very traditional Shakespeare, uh, uh, original, what it was called original comedy, which was just ridiculousness. Uh, either it could be a stand-up or it could be essentially a Saturday night live skit that essentially you write yourself. Um, and what is called humorous duet, which is, take an eight minute section of a play and you and a partner act out one character each and act out that scene. So it's the very, you know, what a lot of like beginners start with because they want to do it because it's fun. And if it's fun, it's because it's funny. And so that's what they do. And then when I got into college, I I branched out a little bit more and now I coach not everything, but pretty close to everything. But I'm really fortunate with the other people I work with at DeKalb High School. Do you remember any of those first sketches that you I, did I way do. back then? I do. I'd rather not talk about those, but I, I certainly <laughs> um, My freshman year in high school, I did a spoof of the People's Court, and it was a crazy carnival that came and ripped people off, and that's what it was, and it was not funny at all, but I thought it was hilarious when I was 14. That's awesome. Did, yeah. how, did, how did the you know the judges, it, how did they think? It did, did okay. Right? Did it right? Okay, that's a win. Um, that's a win. And uh, a normal tournament runs where you have, you perform three times and then uh, say there are 20 kids in your event and then the top six move on to a final. And I, I probably made finals half the time and usually in the bottom half of those finals, like those, you know, those first couple of years and then got a little better as I went. Still at 14, if you don't completely bomb, that's kind of a win. Yes, indeed, indeed. But I won my very first tournament, and I got the hugest head in the world. But it was a novice tournament, so I was only up against other freshmen. But I didn't know that. I just thought I was the champion. So yeah, it, it, it did not bode well for my next few tournaments until I figured out I was not that great. So well, you know, you know, wins a win. Look at the scoreboard, scoreboard, right? Exactly. <laughs> well, and speaking of wins, I mean, you said that you know this is year forty, so you've been coaching at DeKalb for over 30 years now. I would coach at this. I think this is year. So I would have started in fall of 90. So this would be year 32. Year 32. And you guys have had a lot of success. Regionals, I, regional titles, I believe we're at like 25 or 26. 25, yeah. And sectionals, we have 12, I believe. So so that's that, that, that overall state champion, that's still And then the sights. state, yeah, the state level, we have not been... Not been overly close. I think our highest, our high mark was uh, seventh place at one point or another. That's awesome. It's over twenty six regionals. That's that's a majority of them. <laughs> yeah. So we we do well in the area. That's for sure. And when we get up to the suburbs, sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Are there any? And again, you don't have to pick out a specific, you know, speech that someone gave over the years. But when you think about, you know, over that long amount of time, like kind of your favorite memories from over the years or things that stand out whether they be individual performances or years or teams or circumstances like what comes to your mind in all honesty my my like my best memories from this is is perfect example is right now we have a coaching staff at DeKalb at DeKalb High School of five and my co-head coach is uh TJ Fontana who went through the program and has been coaching here for 22 years um, and just the fact that it meant that much to him when he did it, and now he still wants to do it. Now he's got his kids doing it. That's pretty neat. That's that's pretty great. And that's you know he's one of my best friends, and 
you know, you get, if you pull friends out of this, that's, I think that's, that's what I always push for the kids. I mean, it's a great place to be. You're going to meet a lot of kids, you know, whether it's at DeKalb High School or when we go to competitions elsewhere, who, you know, you can be friends with for the rest of your life. And so that to me has always been the best part of the activity. I'm glad you brought up your, uh, your fellow coach, TJ there, because I, I, I was, I was doing some reading and I saw that there was an article about you guys from a couple years back where he said that, uh, in an article about forensics, mm-hmm. he said it is, Quote, it is, in my opinion, not biased at all, probably the best activity kids can do for preparing them for a lot of the challenges they're going to see in life. And I thought that was really interesting because it also does make sense that at the end of the day, you know, these things are about how you communicate with other people, which I know that's essential. And how you present yourself. And so especially, you know, know, we're doing it right here. So much of our communication is turned into this mode and... Sure, you're creating characters sometimes, but really you are you are simply creating a persona, and that persona hopefully exudes confidence and, and exudes um, a conversationality and being comfortable. And that's what hopefully forensics will provide for most kids. Is when they're in this situation, they're no longer terrified. I think about it a lot with with my family actually, because it's like. Um... You know, it's because your, your brother introduced you to forensics, and yeah. you know, my my grandfather was like broadcasted high school basketball games like over oh, the radio in East Aurora High School for years and years and years, and then my brother Troy is a Lutheran pastor who you know every Sunday performs publicly, yep. and and you know I'm on the radio too, and there's a big part of it is he's kind of how you present yourself and your persona. And I think about that all the time professionally, right? There's like, especially being in public radio, there's like a a stereotype that it's very dry and it's very, you know, old timey newscaster voice without a lot of, you know, personality. And I always try so hard to bring myself to that performance, even when it is just, you know, giving a newscast or reading Mm -hmm. a story. But I think about all the time about how doing so much public speaking Mm -hmm. for both me and my brother, like how that impacts the way that we, you know, perform ourselves out in the world, even outside of those settings. Sure. Very much so. Um, And that's, you know, that's what, you know, as as Mr. Fontana said, that's the best thing you can get out of this. Sure, you'll get a couple of medals and maybe a plastic trophy here and there. Um, but if you are put in a situation where you have to answer a question, where you are in front of people, whether it's an interview or in a public speaking situation, you know, our hope and our goal is for you to be, you know, more equipped for that and even have fun with it. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned that you did in high school. Are you from Northern Illinois? Are you from the area? I'm down, uh, down in Peoria. Was teaching always something that you were interested in, always something that you wanted to do, or is it something that came to you later in life? Actually, I think I wanted to do what you were doing when I was in high school. I really? Myself as either on the radio or sports casting or something like that, and then I just kind of went, I don't know how I'd get started with that, so I stopped. It was essentially my sophomore year, and I had a, a very influential teacher who was also my uh, forensics coach at NIU named Judy Santa Caterina, who was just amazing. It was amazing in the classroom, just the, her ability to communicate with everybody in there and connect with all those different kids and just do it on such a personal level that I just kind of said, I don't think I can ever do that, but that would be pretty awesome if I could. And so that was when I first started thinking, you know, that way I can take what I'm doing here forensically on the college level and continue to do that, but reach so many other people in the classroom as well. Yeah, you know, we always ask people about how, you know, again, like you were nominated for this show and 
I'm always interested in the teachers. I'm sure that you've had a teacher in your life who helped inspire you. And it sounds like that teacher that you were just talking about is probably someone that helped you become the person that you are today. Very much so. Very much so. Anybody who knows Judy Santacanarina knows not only does she inspire, she will push you. And if you are not, if you are just trying to skate by, oh, she'll tell you. She'll let you know. Um, and it and it makes you a better person and makes you, you know, in, in my case, a better teacher. So, and also an incredible name, by the way. Just a lot of fun Isn't to say. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> yeah, I, I was interested too. It like we kind of talked about how much or how being you know in speech and teaching those things coaching has changed you as a teacher i'm interested in like kind of over the you know 30 plus years that you've been coaching kind of just mm-hmm. like what the le- if there are any lessons or things that you feel like you've learned along the way not specifically about being a teacher but about being a coach you know being mm-hmm. kind of a a more of an informal teacher being sure. a little bit more of a mentor like what about coaching i think uh, in both cases it's all about relationships Um, you can, you know, in a classroom, you can teach, you know, you know, give instructions on how to do something to one class and it's perfectly clear. And then the next class, they have no idea what you're talking about. And it's just a matter of, and it's the same thing with coaching. There are different techniques. There are different strategies that are going to work with one kids, how you approach them. And it's, it's a matter of once they trust you and once you, you know, let them know that I'm not just trying to mold you into something. I just, I want you to have fun. I don't want you to care about this. And once they know that you care, you get a lot more out of them and they get a lot more out of it. Um, and so that's it, you know, in terms of, you know, both of those situations, I think it's all about, you know, letting those kids know, like in a classroom, this isn't my fifth hour of 35 kids. And so I treat you like my fifth hour. I've got, you know, Steve, I got Jermaine, I got, you know, Susie over here and, and all those kids learn differently. And same thing with coaching. And you have to remember that it's hard to remember that. Um, but that's what makes the best teachers is those who can, you know, differentiate and, re- and remember that everything doesn't work, you know, whether in a, in a one-on-one coaching session or whether in the classroom, it's just realizing what does work. And, and the, the sooner they realize that you are not just treating them like you treat everybody else, that's the first step um, that you care. And that's always been my, you know, fallback is, is get them to know that, you, you know, you want to know who they are and not just what they're going to present in classroom or in front of, a, you know, in, in front of a forensics room. Are you, are you a sports fan? Yes. See, I, I am too. I'm a, you know, big baseball and football and basketball fan. Mm-hmm. I always think about it from a coaching perspective there, you always hear about what makes someone successful and in interviews yep. with those coaches. And the things I always stand out to me is like, are you a coach, you know, like for example, with football or something, right? Like, are you a coach that, you know, has a system and when I get to a place, I'm going to make everyone else fit into my system of what my plan is and the way that I run my offense? Or am I someone that's going to see what, you know, my students, what my players are good at mm-hmm. and emphasize that, try to get the most out of the things that they already excel in? I'll tell you, that's, I try to do the latter. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Especially when it comes to humor. Um, because what I, you know, what I can say, and it, and it might be funny when I say it, it's not your style at all. And if you don't think it's funny, why would you do it? Um, and so what I've always kind of prided myself on is, is just that, is, is trying to uh, work to the strengths of who we have. And if you, you know, if I've you know, got kids who are just really sarcastic, then let's play that. Let's, you know, let's do some smart humor. And I got all, you, know, you always have the kids who are just, you know, whacking off the walls. And I'm like, okay, let's, let's pull out some good fart jokes here and that'll work for you. 
you know, you know, create some big wacky characters, but it's, it's not good. You know, the same thing's not going to work with every kid, um, whether it's in the classroom or, or in that extracurricular. And as you just said, the best, I've always found the best uh, strategy is, is what is their strength. And then let's try to find something that works to that because then they're going to enjoy it much more. They're going to be more comfortable. And when those two things go into place, then they're going to put that much more time and that much more effort into it and consequently likely to be more, much more successful. Right. And I'm sure that's somewhat in some ways probably easier for something like forensics where you can guide students towards, you know, performing the things that they're already interested sure. in, whether it be a specific kind of comedy or a yep. specific play or something like that. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. I was interested too. like you've been teaching or like doing forensics for for decades I'm always interested to ask people who have been in, in education for a long time, the things they feel like have changed and the things that they feel have stayed the same, like how things have evolved over the course mm -hmm. of your career. Do you feel like, obviously, there are, you know, distinct categories that, you know, are in forensics and that people perform in, but do you feel like in terms of like themes and topics and the things that they choose to explore and talk about, do you feel like that's kind of stayed the same or has it evolved? Do you feel like they talk about different things now than they did 30 years ago? I think it stayed the same in the respect of the key when you're talking, when you're, when you're writing a speech, you know, and you're doing research is talk about something you are passionate about. Talk right. something you're, you care about. Now that's always evolving and always changing. Right. Um, right. You know, but I think that we've always seen the most success for kids who are writing those speeches is that they find something that they're passionate about. Um, we've always had kids who's like, this sounds like a winning topic. This sounds like it's going to be amazing. And sometimes they do, you know, well enough with it, but usually there's not that extra push to it um, because they're doing it for, you know, not because of their love for that topic, but their love for, you know, reward or award for it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always think it's fascinating, right? Like over 30 years of the way that the things students are passionate about. I was always, True. I was interested if, if that's, you know, like you said, like, and that's different be... for every kid. We've got right. a kid yeah. who are very much activists and, yeah. you know, and really care about, you know, what's going on politically in the world. Um, we've got every once in a while, we'll get a, a, a kid who's been writing poetry since they're 11. And mm -hmm. so they are so passionate about spoken word and, you know, those kids, you know, that's fantastic, but uh, there's not a, you know, this was happening 10 years ago and this is happening now. I mean, the best thing is there's just so much more material out there for them to find. Um, mm. It's much easier to find stuff that they are passionate about, you know, especially with like their, you know, a number of poetry YouTube channels, for example, okay. um, like re like button poetry or uh, write creatively that are, you know, quite often very uh, speaking on political issues or something, you know, going on in our society. And so those, you know, quite often tend to, you know, can be something that really touches a, a chord for them. Right. And then with the internet and have more tools available to them yeah. to learn how to do that better, even outside yeah. of just the club. Very true. Very true. For people, again, that aren't familiar with, with what it looks like, you kind of laid out what forensics competitions look like, mm -hmm. but in terms of the actual like day-to-day -day practice and meetings, kind of like, what do those look like? Depends on the event, but essentially yeah. what kid will come in is like, say they're writing a speech they will come in and we'll throw around ideas. Here's an idea for your topics. So I would much rather it come from them, but if they don't have ideas, then we'll just start throwing things at them. And then we'll tell them to go home and research. Then they come back in with that research and with a the coach, they'll sit down and go, okay, let's, let's outline this out now. 
you know, and so basically it's a step-by-step process. Then they'll write a point, they'll bring it back. We'll kind of refine it. Um, in terms of those interpretation events, same kind of thing. I will never say, here's, you know, here's the poem you're doing. Instead, what I'll do is here's five or six things. See what you like, see if there's anything you like. And if you don't tell me what you didn't like about it, because hopefully that will guide me to what you will like. Um, and then when they're practicing, once they find the material and they're doing all that, they'll get up and we'll just find little subtleties of this could make it funnier, you know, try this accent or let's slow this part down a little bit more because this is a really poignant part right now that you really want to drive home and make sure people are, are hearing it and listening to it. So we just, we, every time we go to a competition, we get feedback from judges. So we'll look over those and say, ah, this guy really made a good point that I wouldn't have thought of. Let's try to do something like that. So they'll come in once or twice a week and basically, we'll just try to find little things to get it better and better and better as, as, the, as the season goes on. Yeah, very collaborative in both the yeah. writing and the very, performing of it. Very much so. Yeah, that's really – what is like when you have a, a new person on the team and you're, you're sitting down to, to give them tips on, on writing or performing? Like what are the sure. most common like tips that you give? Is it like slow down? <laughs> oh, in terms of, uh, of performing, yeah. a, lot of yeah. it, a lot of it is slow down. A lot of it is – Okay, you wrote this, and and I know you you're thinking about it. Now think about it when you're saying it, instead of just here are the words I'm trying to get because I just memorized it, so I'm just trying to get them out as quickly as I can. Think about it. What's the important part of this sentence? What's the important part of this you know point? Uh, or if it's you know even you know a script, why did he say that? There's there's a reason for it that you're not really figuring out right now. And so it's more than anything is taking that step back and really looking at what you're saying and analyzing why you're saying it and if you're saying it for that reason how can we get that across more there you go that's a a tip that someone can take right now if they're listening to this and they are like getting prepared to write a wedding speech or something like that they those tips can work for them too yep just just speak from the heart you know it might feel awkward it might feel difficult to do but it's it's probably going to be fine exactly exactly (laughs) what i always tell my classes is is, you know we, we do a survey at the beginning of the year how comfortable are you in terms of getting up in front of people and I put it on a scale of one to 10. And the, usually the average is about three. And I say, okay, so what's the problem? What do you think your audience is doing? And they always say, I'm judging you. And I said, you know, in all honesty, you look out there and if you're up there for five minutes, half your class is saying, thank God it's not me. And so they are going to be there, even if they're listening and or thinking not, about their stuff, along, you know, they're nodding along, hoping to get you through it. Um, and that's the key in a class is, is you're all in the same boat. And you guys can make it easier for each other. And I haven't had an issue where anybody was making fun of anybody when they've been up in front of the class. And no tomatoes and rotten cabbage being thrown at them. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I'm like, I always relate it to their classes. I'm like, you've had teachers you liked and teachers you didn't like so much. And sometimes you didn't like them because of how they presented. But did you ever sit in a 45 minute class for 45 minutes saying you are not speaking very well? You need to articulate better. No. We go, this isn't very good, and we zone out. We start thinking about other things we're going to do. We try to hide our phone under our desk and do other things. They're not worried about you. They're not judging you. They are either being polite and paying attention, or they're thinking about something completely different 95% of the time. Right. You really have to like accidentally slip and fall and, and break your leg for some of these people to, to figure right, out what's exactly. going on. Very much so. Very much so. All right. Well, you know, one of the last questions I like to ask kind of at the end of all my interviews, and we might have answered it throughout the course of our conversation. I just kind of like the way that it frames things as you wrap sure. up, which is like, you know, again, like as someone that has 
decades of experience in the classroom. What's something about being in education and, and being an educator that you just wish more people knew about? Something you think is more important than people might realize who aren't thinking about this stuff all the time and aren't in the classroom every day? Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, and, and, and speech is a great example of this. Um, what I love about my job is basically you don't have to be a brilliant speaker to get an A in my class. Our goal is to make you more comfortable and that you move from point A to point B by the end of the semester, meaning you, you know, at the end, you've learned some things and you're more comfortable up there. Uh, and just that progress that you can see, just that one on one sometimes when you work with a kid and they suddenly get it, that is pretty rewarding. And in terms of, you know, the, whether society, you know, appreciates teachers or not. Um, every once in a while, probably, I don't know, say maybe twice a year, all the student come in who I haven't seen in 10 years and they go, I still remember when you, you know, were an idiot and did this or whatever it is. And just the fact that they, you know, something stuck in their head, whether it was something funny or whether it was something poignant, whether it was something about speech, you know, that to me is, 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 is pretty valuable. It's pretty neat. Um, and the fact that, you know, as a teacher, you have the opportunity to make a difference. And that sounds very cheesy and very cliche, but it's really true. And not so much in, in necessarily sometimes what you're teaching, but just by being there to listen, just by, you know, showing that kid that, that you care, um, that you know what's going on in their life and you're there for them. And that's, you know, to me, the best thing. And there's not a lot of jobs that give you that opportunity. Um, to actually, you know, make that difference in someone else's life. And so I've always found that to be, you know, the greatest part of this job. Yeah, it's something we talk about all the time on this show, What you know, whether it be, and kind of related almost like being a parent, right? Where it's like, you never know what you're going to say that is going to stick with them for the next 20 years, right? And it probably won't be the exact lesson that you're teaching in class today, but yep. just how you made someone feel, right, is the yep. thing that they're going to take. And then with, if that is the case, then, you know, kind of Uncle Ben style, like with, with great power comes great responsibility then. <laughs> Very, much so. Very much so. Oh, my wife reminds me that a lot. So I, I, I'm trying to be much more careful than I used to be in my younger days. <laughs> All right, Greg. Well, hey, again, thanks so much for taking the time Problem. out of your Friday. Fantastic. Thank you very much. It was nice to meet you. Thanks so much for listening to Teacher's Lounge. As always, feel free to nominate a teacher in your life to be on our show. It's how we get great guests like Greg Solomon. Send them our way to teacherslounge at niu.edu. And wherever you're hearing this podcast, please do subscribe, leave us a rating, share it, whatever you can do. It really is the best way to help out so we can get even more perspectives on the show. Also, you can subscribe to the Teacher's Lounge newsletter to keep up to date with everything going on with the show. You can find a link to do that on this episode's webpage at wnij.org. A big thank you to the Northern Illinois band Kind Us for the music you hear in each and every episode of our show. I've been your host, Peter Mudlin, and we will be back with more Teacher's Lounge very soon. See ya.